Good morning, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to Wrong Think Radio. I'm your host, Aaron, broadcasting from just outside the nation's capital in beautiful northern Virginia. And I'm Alan, coming in from the lovely, very cold, but sunny greater Seattle metropolitan area. And this is Wrong Think Radio, so they're to our live show that we put on every single week to bring you guys our facts and analysis of what's going on in the world today, what's happening in media, how to break through the propaganda, how to get through the lies, and ultimately... Talking to you all on the chat, which we are live up on Rumble. You all should go check it out right now. Share it to your friends to make sure that they are also uh, being able to be as awesome as the rest of us. And uh, of course, you know, we want to make sure that we can hear from y'all because we love you oh so much. No, it's great because we're heading into, uh, you know, officially, I mean, it's been campaign season. Of course, we all know that. But oh my God, we're going into the caucus sorry uh just had a little bleed over but it is now the hawkeye cockeye that is happening tomorrow and there's going to be a lot of changes this is the beginning of the end for a lot of campaigns and that's just a statement don't get upset for those of you um who might not like that it's the beginning of the end but chris christie's already dropped out Uh, which is interesting because Chris Christie was actually polling better than some of the other candidates who are staying in, in certain races, not overall, but in certain races, Chris Christie, in fact, was polling third in New Hampshire. He was coming in third in New Hampshire behind Nikki Haley. And of course, behind Donald Trump, everyone is behind Donald Trump. This is Donald Trump's race to lose. And I do not believe he's going to lose it. Uh, it's just as simple as that, but there is still some analysis that we can do. There are still some questions that need to be answered and some things that we would like to figure out, uh, with regards to what's going on. But for those of you that are in the chat right now that are watching on rumble, uh, let us know, like, what do you think? Uh, what do you think is going to happen tomorrow? Because understand tomorrow is a caucus and that is very different than a primary, a primary is where people vote. And then obviously the amount of votes, either if it's a proportional uh, representation and the idea that the uh, overall point system that the GOP uses for assigning its nominee might be distributed by the percentage of votes, or it might be a winner take all primary, which some states have that where the person who gets the most votes just gets all of the uh, delegates. That's how that could work. Now, a caucus system is not the same. And I've explained this before on the show, so I won't berate it for too long. But the long story short is people kind of go in and they can list out their first, their second, and their third favorite. There are certain hurdles that need to be cleared. If a candidate doesn't clear that hurdle, they are removed from the caucus, uh, basically removed from the list of the caucus. And then those people, the people who are representing them, the ones that you've heard as precinct captains, um, can then advocate for another candidate. So if you're like a Vivek Ramaswamy guy, and for one reason or another, Vivek doesn't clear uh, the hurdle of whatever percentage he needs to move on to the next uh, next round of voting, then you can go and you can stump for Trump or stump for DeSantis or maybe even Haley, which we all know is not going to happen. Vivek people are not going to stump for Nikki Haley. But point that's the whole point is these things can be very interesting. The Iowa caucus uh, regularly does not pick the overall GOP nominee, so it's not a guarantee in any way, shape, or form. To remind you all, in 2016, Iowa went to Ted Cruz, and that's all fine and good, but additionally, Iowa's gone to Ron Paul. 
Ron Paul of all people. Yeah, fantastic. I think that's awesome. I mean, Ron Paul's Ron Paul's a great dude, but Iowa's gone to Ron Paul. It's gone to Rick Santorum. These are all names that you might remember, but then they kind of faded into obscurity. So that is the overall of what is the Iowa caucus. So <clears throat> the Iowa caucus is it's it, it's it's the first in the nation and and uh, only for the Republicans. Now, the Democrats have not uh, uh, do not have Iowa as their first uh, entry into the primaries. I believe it's South Carolina for them, but I don't pay attention because they're the I don't, I don't want you guys to think that I'm being flippant here, but I don't pay attention to the Democrat primary, um, not just this Democrat primary, any Democrat primary, because they have, as we all know from 2016, they have like super delegates. So it really doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how people vote. Remember, it was very contentious between Hillary Clinton and Bernie Sanders in 2016. And it was this mysterious group of super delegates that made sure that Hillary Clinton remained viable in the race. And these are people that are right. completely unaffiliated. They can just vote however they want. So as far as I'm concerned, uh, the Democrat Party just chooses their candidate and they pretend to let their people vote, which really isn't that surprising for anybody who understands the Democrat Party. Um, <clears throat> but there's a lot of analysis we have to get to uh, when we talk about the Iowa caucus. And one thing that I will tell everybody is, number one, uh, stay off of social media for like the next 24 hours or so. Uh, because it is filled with the stink of desperation. <laughs> People who know that their candidates are not going to win, which is everybody but Donald Trump, are having fits of rage and are putting out some of the most ridiculous. We're seeing who some of these supporters are, and I say supporters specifically Social media is not necessarily the game of the campaigns. You know, certainly we see campaigns on there, right? Like we see Ron DeSantis' campaign on social media. Not so much Nikki Haley. We see Vivek Ramaswamy on social media. He himself. Um, but it's the supporters that I think are, are the loudest voices that people are noticing on social media. And I don't think that it's fair in many ways to judge candidates by their supporters, but it does give you an idea of what it is about that candidate that appeals to those people, which is really the lifeblood of what makes that candidate tick. Mm -hmm. And the reason why I say that <clears throat> is take a look at, for example, Ron DeSantis is really the use case here that everyone needs to look at. What happened to Ron DeSantis, because in the polling, something very interesting has happened over the last couple of weeks. Apparently, and I, I'm dead serious about this. I'm not trying to be cute. I'm not trying to be funny. I didn't know that there was a debate. I had no idea that there was a Republican candidate debate last week. I wasn't tracking it. I didn't have it on any calendar. I didn't even see clips from it after it happened. But apparently Ron DeSantis won. Good. Yeah, that's that's very cool. I had no idea it was happening. So let's just start there at the idea that the, there was a there was a GOP debate and nobody gave a damn. Literally nobody. I have not seen anything from this debate. Nobody gave a shit that it happened. The only thing that I saw was, oh, like Ron DeSantis creamed Nikki Haley in that debate. And I went, there was a, there was a debate, <laughs> you know. Um, 
It's a waste of money. It is a waste of infrastructure money at this point for the GOP to be holding these debates. Trump has shined a light on that. However you feel about it, early on, I did think that Trump should debate. I'm going to be honest, selfishly, it was because I think Trump's fucking hilarious and that's what I wanted to see. It wasn't because I wanted to hear his ideas and I want to, I don't care about some candidates canned line that they practiced over the last two weeks with a bunch of campaign staff and they field tested and it went through all of these uh, focus groups. I don't care about that. It's all bullshit. It's fake. It's theater and it's gay. Donald Trump's hilarious. Donald Trump at a debate would have been funny. That's why I cared. Because Agreed. as far as I'm Agreed. concerned, every line you hear, for, if it's a really good line, it's probably bullshit because it was probably rehearsed. It might be what the candidate thinks. Don't get me wrong, but it's a rehearsed line. It's theater. Oh, yeah, absolutely. The, on, the only value I get out of debates is when someone screws up. I never get it when they do something good. When they do something good, that means they practiced well. When they do something bad, that's the chink in the armor that I want to look at. That's the thing I want to dig into. That's what debates do for me. But then you have Donald Trump who shows up, who's just like, you know, all the candidates here are gay. And it's just like, oh my God, this is the funniest thing I've ever seen. I completely agree. And that's Mm -hmm. why I kind of want him to be president is because he'll bring that same energy that will just mock a system that deserves to be mocked. Well, and that is a very... Good point, which leads kind of into what what I was getting at here. What is it? Like, I'm not asking for an answer. It's a hypothetical. There is something about Donald Trump that the GOP voters adore. And it's not because they're a cult. That's that's cope. Uh, that's copium for failing campaigns. Um, It's not because they're dumb. It's not because they think he's Jesus. It's not because they worship him. It's none of those things. There's something about Donald Trump that really appeals to the the majority of voters. And I think it's exactly what Alan just said. He mocks a system that deserves to be mocked. All of these other candidates always want to tell us how great the system is, how wonderful things work. And don't get me wrong. Is America the best country in the world? Absolutely it is. There's not a country that I'm going to flee to. The reason why I want to save America is there's no other country on this planet that I can point to and say, oh, this one would be better for me. No, that's not true. It's just like there's more woke or poor. Mm-hmm. Like that. That's the, those are my choices. Um, so, you know, I want to save America, not just because this is my home, but at the same time, it is the best country in the world. That doesn't mean that it's perfect. And oh, right. When I hear all of these politicians talk about, you know, oh, the Constitution and this great thing and our great nation and our great democracy. And it's like it feels a lot like you're not acknowledging the cracks in the system. And I don't know how the hell you can't. Agreed. So Uh, I don't know either. It's very. It seems so obvious the the complaints that we have about the th- about how things are going seems so obvious and that's why i'm shocked when people seem to just I- try to either ignore them or pretend that the complaints don't exist well and the thing um real quick before i get kind of into some of this this dive here the thing that really soured me on desantis as a candidate was seeing his supporters outright just take the line that uh the, the election in 2020 was the freest and fairest election that's ever occurred. And Donald Trump lost to Joe Biden uh, super badly because he's a bad candidate. DeSantis 2024. 
And it was like, what? Yeah. Like, dude, we all agreed. Everybody knows that something weird happened here. There are still investigations happening. Hell, one of the biggest supporters of Ron DeSantis was Donald Trump's lawyer, Jenna Ellis, who brought a bunch of cases against the election to different courts that wouldn't even hear her case. And it, then it's like the campaign turned around and was like, nope, he lost fear and squared. It was the best election ever. Because that's the only way you can sell that. The only way you can sell Donald Trump lost to Joe Biden, therefore vote for Ron DeSantis, is, you, and understand this, you have to deny that anything weird happened in the election. You have to deny that anything weird happened in the election. Otherwise, the only truthful take you could have on that is Ron DeSantis wouldn't get duped like Donald Trump in an election and wouldn't have it stolen from him by the Democrats because X. That's the answer that you would have have you would have to give. Of course, right. But instead they just went, nope, he lost. He already lost. He lost his election. You know, Ron DeSantis won his election by 20 points and Donald Trump lost it. It's like, oh, okay, so you think it was a fair election. You you think it was the freest and fairest election ever. That's the only way that that logic makes any sense. Mm-hmm. And no, I can't vote. I, I can't I can't vote for that because that's somebody who's going to get blindsided by the Democrats because they don't believe that anything weird happened. And so why would I trust you? Yeah, exactly. I well, and additionally, if if you listen to some people like Vivek Ramaswamy and some other folks that essentially say, well, the system is out to get Donald Trump. That's what all these things mm -hmm. are about. That's what all these indictments are. They're they're out to get this guy. Mm -hmm. Well, they want me to vote for them. It's like, well, if the system's not out to get you, then maybe I, sh maybe I should be a little suspicious of your motivations. Because if if the system's so bad that it has to stop Donald Trump to be for being president for some reason, but it would allow people like Vivek or DeSantis to become president, well, maybe that's a cause for concern. Well, and this has been. Um, this is where the stupidity of some of these campaigns, not not Vivek, I, I do want to separate that because I don't think his campaign's actually been stupid. They haven't done great polling wise, but he hasn't been stupid either. Um, this is where they have absolutely screwed up uh, and it's it's every campaign in general. And that is not properly addressing exactly that. Why are they going after Trump, but not you? And that's where a lot of the conspiracies came from. I know it's angered a lot of people. If you've been on any social media platform, but like I sit primarily on X, you can see it from these uh, campaign supporters and influencers that are just constantly so super pissed at the accusations against their candidates of being aligned with, say, George Soros or Democrats or, you know, something like that. But but that's like that's what makes sense to voters. Why aren't they coming after you? Like, we do think that the, like, it is a strong and inherent belief among the electorate right now on the right that the the left wing and the Democrats are actively trying to suppress your vote and steal an election away from you. Specifically, they do not want Donald Trump to be the president of the United States because, in our belief and what most, most voters believe, he poses a threat to their whole gravy train, their system, their new world order, global reset, whatever the hell you want to call it, he poses a threat to that. Anyone else, so in that landscape, you have to acknowledge an electoral landscape where there is someone who is so threatening, 
that they're trying to throw him in jail with 93 indictments that are just literally spaghetti on the wall. There's nobody with any actual good legal mind that could look at what's going on with Donald Trump and say, this, this is solid. This makes sense. It's char it's charges from misfiling business records to potentially trying to hide national security documents that he had the right to take because he was the president and had the right to declassify because he was the president uh, to uh, he didn't rape E. Jean Carroll, but he sexually assaulted her, her, even though she claimed it was rape. But right. then a court ruled that it was just sexual assault, even though she claimed she was raped. They said, well, you did sexually assault her, but you didn't rape her in a civil trial, by the way, which by, uh, does not okay. have a preponderance of evidence. Just so everyone's aware, this was a civil trial for defamation. So there was no hmm. preponderance of evidence. They did not have to prove any of these accusations. But because I, the reason why I bring this up, because a judge said, uh, because the ruling said, we believe you sexually assaulted her and therefore committed defamation. Um, we believe mm. you sexually assaulted her, but you didn't rape her, even though she claimed you did. Um, going forward, Donald Trump's not allowed to say he didn't rape or assault E. Jean Carroll mm. legally because a court ruled he did, mm. even though they didn't criminally rule he did. They civilly mm -hmm. ruled he did. And on top of that, just so everyone's aware of the story to give everyone a back up, uh, a backup, New York State changed its statute of limitations on making a sexual assault claim just so that case would happen and then changed it back as soon as the case was over. Oh, great. Chalk one up for rule of law. So the reason why I say that is that kind of activity right there. Okay. Like we all know what's going on here, right? They're, they're just trying to get the guy. Everyone yeah. knows that everyone knows they're just trying to get the guy. Democrats support it because they want them to get Donald Trump. They want him. They want him to stop. So they don't care. It's not like they, they don't, they, they there's no Democrats that are like, oh, this is absolutely morally proper or what the hell. Ever. No, they're like, no, Donald Trump's evil. Don't care. That's their position. And at least, at least in a lot of ways, that's at least somewhat of an honest position. Like, don't care, bad man. Yeah. But at the same time, there's Republicans that just can't seem to understand the effect of that landscape on the voters. Like, come on, everybody. Like, why? Yeah. How the hell is if Ron DeSantis is going to do way better and not be attacked by the Democrats, then he must be a Democrat. Because if, he, if he's as good as everybody says he is, then the Democrats would want him in jail too. They would want to shut him down. They would want to completely screw him over like they have Trump. Well, or and I'm the, not saying only allowance, the only allowance I could give is someone could make, the argument could be made, well, they don't know, they haven't, tar they haven't started targeting DeSantis. Yeah, no, that's like, true. The reason that you don't see it is they haven't started. They go, well, if he becomes president, I have saw I saw how dishonestly they tried to go after Trump. Right. I can only assume they're going to go after DeSantis with an equal level of dishonesty if he's as effective as I'm being told he would be. And I believe so they will. He, I'm being told he'll be more effective than Donald Trump at closing the border and doing all these things. And I'll go, okay, that just means the forces against him are going to amplify even greater than what they did against Trump. Mm-hmm. 
So we're, we're essentially the problem is I or at least what I see with this election is the country is basically on the brink, if not currently already engaged in a civil war of sorts. And we're trying to elect in. Are we trying to elect someone who will soften the blow and bring the left, you know, bring us together as a people? It's like, I don't really want that. I don't want to compromise with the, with these people. They hate my country and they want to destroy it. They hate my way of life, want to destroy it. They hate me personally. Like, uh, there's no, there should not, the idea that we're just going to compromise our way out of this and go, well, I guess we can all live as slightly more free slaves for a little bit longer. <laughs> I don't want that. That's not a victory. I want a victory. I want these people to stop doing what they're doing. I want all the gains they've made to be reversed. I want, I want to celebrate Columbus Day again. I want all the gun laws to go away. I want Juneteenth to be stricken from the record. I want all the statues to be put back up. That's winning, and I want to win. And dissent, And if the goal of what we're doing is, if the goal of this election, the goal of politics, is simply to just sort of find an uneasy truce, well, that's extreme. That's not satisfying at all. It's just simply, well, we're just trying to maintain the detente because actually solving any of these problems and actually having the fight and actually coming to a conclusion is too messy. Mm -hmm. I don't think that is a positive thing, a positive way to view politics that builds long-term, uh, essentially long-term st stability and strength. Mm -hmm. What does the U.S. look like in 50 years? That should be our goal. And the only way we can have a country that we're going to be proud of in 50 years is if we absolutely and unequivocally defeat and destroy the left-wing movement in the United States. They cannot be part of the country anymore, like, or else we'll just always be at war. And that's not a good solution. A good solution is a country where we don't have to worry about these things. And is DeSantis going to deliver that? Probably not. Is Trump going to deliver that? Probably also not. But at least Trump represents the ability to have the fight to potentially make some advances against the left. DeSantis seems great, but I just am not confident that he will make the sacrifices necessary in the face of the opposition we face. Trump would have one term. And I would, would not imagine that he would be too care, would care too much about his legacy or other things because he has seen exactly how terrible these people are personally to him. DeSantis, again, he seems like a great guy. But the, my worry is he would look at the political landscape when he comes under pressure and very justifiably think, well, I have to compromise with the left so they stop coming after me. They don't, don't try to throw me in jail. They don't destroy my legacy. They don't attack me like they did Trump. That would potentially be too big of a concern of his, justifiably so, and the temptation is much more there for someone like DeSantis to fly under the radar, don't change as much as he promised in order to not have the fight, because it'd be so much more peaceful to do it that way. Whereas with Trump, I get the feeling like he's got nothing to lose, and I want somebody that has nothing to lose in office so that they actually do what is necessary, rather than try and survive. Well, and it's 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 interesting that you kind of bring that up, too, because <clears throat> one of the constant refrain refrains we hear for every election is this is the last election of free America. 
I've heard that my entire life. Now, I'm not saying that that's necessarily not the case here because things have changed dramatically. You know, we and and perhaps everyone was right every time they said that because, you know, the large landscape of how evil and corrupt the Democrat Party is, how easily um, they're ready, willing and able to just sell everything that makes America America down the river for cheap slave labor, for globalist nonsense, for a ruling elite of unelected bureaucrats to basically just use the entire world as their own playground. Mm-hmm. Um, Donald Trump embodies the same survival that everyone else feels when they go and vote. They feel like they have to vote. They have to vote against Joe Biden to survive. So the man won't destroy mm-hmm. the country that we have built for our children and our grandchildren. Well, Donald Trump, even if he doesn't feel exactly that way, he certainly needs to vote for his own survival because if he doesn't well, win, definitely. that's it. You're right. He's, you know, he's going to be thrown. He's going to die in a prison cell if he doesn't win because the Democrats are evil and they're going to throw their opposition in jail, like the freaking what is his name, Nelvaney or whatever, the guy in uh, Russia. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's I don't I don't understand how so many people can like grab at their pearls over that situation in Russia, but then just be like, well, it's fine under Trump. He's just super bad. Well, what if Putin is doing? You know, what if he was an insurrectionist? I don't know. Like, was was this dude maybe a uh, insurrectionist? Uh, anyway, point. The point of it is, is that I think voters see Donald Trump fighting for survival in a way that we feel like we're fighting for survival. And that is just not apparent in any any other candidate. Because why would any other candidate give a shit? Like Nikki Haley is still going to be a millionaire selling defense shit and making money off defense stock. Vivek Ramaswamy is still going to have millions of dollars that he made in uh, biopharmaceuticals. Ron DeSantis will still be the governor of Florida. Yeah, like it's the skin in the game that really makes Trump attractive. Right. And I don't think that the other campaigns have handled it well. Specifically, I'm going to uh, because because I got because I got attacked, I'm going to share it much to possibly to Alan's consternation. But mm. um I saw a hilarious post because I do follow some DeSantis influencer accounts, one of which is an account known as Max Nordeau, who there was a conspiracy for a while uh, that it might have been a sock puppet account for uh, DeSantis's press secretary, Brian Griffin. Yes, the guy has the same name as the dog and family guy. Um, Right. But I don't think it was because I don't think that the press secretary for Ron DeSantis would fuck up basic facts about Ron DeSantis like Max Nordeau did this morning. And so I, you know, went over to X and was just doing some kind of triage for the show today. And I saw a post because the big thing that uh, the other campaigns are currently debating is the weather. We're all supposed to give everybody a medal of fucking honor for going into the snow in Iowa. Uh, For those of you who don't know, I grew up in Michigan. Uh, As far as I know, Iowa is just experiencing winter in Iowa. But all of these New York and D.C. based consultants are like, we're going into a blizzard to fight for Ron. And it's like nobody in Iowa gives a shit about you and they don't think you're special because they also have to go buy groceries in that blizzard. They have to send their kids to the, to school in that blizzard. They have to shovel their driveways in that blizzard. You staying at the, you know, Ritz Carlton 
in Kansas City. Yeah. Uh, that somebody get this guy on. You know, somebody get this guy on Dateline to talk about his harrowing experience of snowfall. I. I, I understand what people mean. They're they're just talking about how important it is to go vote and don't let the weather affect you. I understand. It's just to me, it comes off so dumb. It comes off like you have no like no fucking idea how regular people live. And that's some of that's influenced by my bitterness over these consultant groups that screw politics up for everybody. But I've just seen so many posts where it's like we're gonna fight this blizzard and we're coming in and it's just like guys, that shit falls flat with Iowa because you're all gonna leave. So good for you, I guess. Anyway, <clears throat> so I got into a little bit of a debate with Mr. Nordeau uh, because okay. uh, he posted uh, a thing up to, to um, you know, brag about the weather. And it was uh, Ron DeSantis. Well, actually, let me pull the whole the actual tweet up so I can quote it properly. It was this post this morning. Um Governor DeSantis served in Afghanistan, lost his only sibling to cancer, lost his first child to a miscarriage, and worked to earn everything he has ever gotten. Faith, family, country. He can handle cold weather and mean tweets. So, I'm going to break this down because it is a very good use case of what I hate about the DeSantis influencers, who I think ruined his campaign. This is not Ron DeSantis. This is... The people that supported him on social media were, I believe, his downfall. Number one, what's the whole point of this tweet? It has nothing to do with any of the things he said about the candidate. It's he can handle cold weather and mean tweets. Every single time these people want to try to say something about DeSantis, it is always actually a cloaked attack against Trump. Every single time. It's never a praise for DeSantis. It is always a cloaked attack against Trump. Every time. Because they're talking about mean tweets, of course, you know, like liberals, the thing that we heard from liberals all the time, the stuff that we made fun of with liberals all the time, they literally became those people. So, but I thought it was interesting because I was like, wait a minute, DeSantis didn't serve in Afghanistan. He served in Iraq. Right. And also, I happen to know his sister died of a pulmonary embolism, not cancer. So I was like, is this what this is weird? Like, maybe he's trying to. Maybe he's like subtweeting something. I don't know. So I corrected him. It's like uh, DeSantis served in Iraq, not Afghanistan, and his sister died of a pulmonary embolism. Well, he deleted that first tweet, then reposted another one where he changed it to Iraq, but then kept the whole cancer thing. And I was like, but she didn't die of cancer. Mm -hmm. I happen to know this because I've actually paid attention to the candidates. So just so everyone's aware... Ron DeSantis's sister, uh, Christine, I believe was her name, um, Christina. So she died when she was 30. Um, I think it was in like 2015. So she went into the hospital. Uh, she had a pulmonary uh, thromboembolism. She was in the hospital for a couple of days, seemed to be recovering, and then she died. And yeah, that's a very big deal. Like it was while he was a representative. It's very sad. It was a big deal for him. Uh, He's seven years older. So this is like his baby sister. You know, it's his only other sibling. This is all terrible. And this is very sad. But it's also not cancer. And I was. True. 
annoyed by it because there was there there was an interview that Piers Morgan did where he talks to Ron DeSantis about all sorts of things. He goes to the governor's mansion in Florida and has a whole conversation with Ron DeSantis. In that, Ron DeSantis talks about the death of his sister. And he says, like, uh, you know, my wife and I were leaving church. We got a call from my mom. She said that she was in the hospital. We're, of course, concerned. You know, she says that everything seems to be okay. And then a couple of days later, she has an embolism and she's dead. And her life was over. He talks about that. There's zero mention of cancer. And so all I was doing was like, what are you what, like? Why are you making random shit up? It's it's like you're it was just I was more shocked at the idea that somebody who stands for Ron DeSantis so much doesn't like no basic facts like what country what like what war he fought in, you know, and, and anyway, so I was, I, I was just kind of stabbing at the guy. But then he, you know, starts retweeting it now, uh, you know, and now I'm being called a ghoul by DeSantis supporters and I'm awful and I need to delete my tweet because she totally died of cancer because because Max Nordeaux shared a daily mail, you know, the bastion of truth telling the daily mail. Um, He shared a headline that says exclusive Ron DeSantis's hidden heartbreak, tragic death of younger sister Christina, who passed away at age 30 in the arms of her British film editor fiance is so painful. The presidential hopeful couldn't bear to write about it, uh, write about her in his memoir. And then he highlighted because he's so nice to me. He highlighted the Christina died from cancer in 2015 and the family have never spoken about the full circumstances surrounding her death. He also highlighted the second line in the summary because it's the Daily Mail. Uh, She also suffered from a pulmonary embolism, clutching the hand of her British fiance, uh, Stephen Passowitz, just as they Mm. were preparing to get married. So she died from cancer and a pulmonary embolism. You know, both of them, because that that's how that works. But uh-huh. it, it doesn't matter because in the article, when I went and read it, it literally says a secondary cause of her death was listed as an ovarian borderline uh, mucinous tumor where abnormal cells from the tissue covering the ovary, according to the to a uh, sorry, where abnormal cells form in the tissue covering the ovary, according to a death certificate, dailymail.com obtained in London. Those abnormal cells are not cancerous and are usually treated with surgery, according to Cancer Research UK. They generally afflict women aged 20 to 40 and are typically diagnosed in the early state in the early stages through testing for other matters. Hmm. I'm not wrong, goddammit. <laughs> no, you're totally right. Totally but, right. This guy definitely got it wrong. He got it wrong, but now it's it's the the reason why I'm focusing on this isn't like, guys, I'm being attacked. I'm being called a ghoul. I'm being called a liar. I'm being called a conspiracy theorist as well for fun because it's the moral high ground that's so important. All I did was point out that these things were wrong. You could just say that he lost his sibling, that she died. But no, cancer is the big word because that's the scary word. It makes people more sad. Afghanistan's the war you want to focus on because it's the one that Joe Biden lost. Oh, yeah, yeah, I get that. Now, Max might be lying, 
He also might not know shit about his own candidate. The guy that he claims is so much better than Donald Trump and he doesn't know basic facts, but I do. Yeah. I mean, I think a lot of people talk a lot of nonsense without actually learning what they're talking about. And yeah, it's just that that this kind of action is obnoxious. And the whole point of it is I need to be more moral than Trump supporters. Trump supporters are a bunch of dumb rednecks with no morals. I'm so good. I'm a shining light. It's so dumb. And it's it's indicative. I brought up um, Jenna Ellis as being one of the bigger DeSantis influencers who in the last several weeks has defended the Church of Satan having a statue of Lucifer in a town hall has gotten angry over a calendar because women were showing their ankles and wearing bikinis. Hmm. This is the kind of, you know what I mean? Like, like this puritanical dumb shit of the quote, moral and principled conservatism that we all know is fake and gay. It always is. True. But then they're just going to use it to go after us. And basically, they're it's going to be the same thing that happened with the Tea Party. Tea Party was great. It gets co-opted by a bunch of shithead politicians and uh, consultant consultant people who actually go, well, I mean, we're not going to be a group of those idiots that ride tractors and live on farms and probably, like, wear Carhartt jackets. Ugh. Oh, yeah, I, I think a lot of the pro-DeSantis people are essentially anybody that is on the right that is anti-Trump. There's a large contingent that fill this gap of I want to have the moral superiority of a liberal, but I don't want to be on the left. And they have willingly or not succumbed to decades of regime propaganda which paints public enemy number one as the dumb stupid white liberal or dumb stupid white conservative out there waving his rebel flag being an idiot those people believe in that caricature and they are doing everything they can they've been told well those people support donald trump and so i think a lot of desantis and nikki haley support comes from people who are conservatives who want to feel extra smart and superior and probably a lot of them I could even see being in a the, sort of the professional class. Like, well, I'm a smart thinking man. I can't <laughs> vote for Trump. That's who idiots vote for because I saw it on NP. I heard it on NPR. So I'm going to support anybody that's not Trump and come up with some reason to do so because the most important thing is coming across as morally superior or contrarian rather than an honest evaluation of the strengths and weaknesses. Well, and now um, speaking of Nikki Haley, who uh, is is doing well in the polls with a given value of what well in the polls means, you know, she's at mm-hmm. like 18 percent. So she's doing shit in the polls. <laughs> but by comparison to everybody else, she's number two because um, right. <laughs> that's that's the world we live in. This is the clown world of an election we have to suffer through. Um but uh, Nikki Haley, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of information out there that there are Democrat donors that are backing Nikki Haley. And in fact, some people in her campaign that formerly campaigned for Democrats. And I find that I think that that tells us an interesting story. 
And I think the interesting story Mm -hmm. that it tells us is that there are some rich liberals that know that Joe Biden doesn't have a chance in hell of winning this election. And therefore, they need to pick what Republican gets in office. Ah, interesting. That's what that tells me. It doesn't tell me. I mean, like, look, don't don't get me wrong. Nikki Haley's garbage. Like, we all agree on that. I haven't liked Nikki Haley. I I disliked Nikki Haley before it was cool. I used to give my dad shit because I would always be like, you only like her because you think she's cute. Uh, so, uh, but anyway, um, everyone took that kind of information and ran with it with Nikki Haley's a Democrat. Well, okay, I can understand that. But the real story here is Democrats would rather put their money behind a Republican that they can try to hope gets elected over putting money toward Biden to defeat whomever the GOP nominee is. They've already given up on the race. That's what that tells me is that there are absolutely people who have given up on the race. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, wow. Alan, thank what? you for thank you for sharing with me who Max Nordeau, because we know that that's a pseudonym, yeah. actually was. Yeah. Yep. Max Nordeau was a Zionist leader, physician, author, and social critic, co-founder of the Zionist organization together with Theodore Herzl and president mm-hmm. or vice president of several Zionist congresses. That's hilarious because uh, mm-hmm. Max Nordeau, the pseudonym, refers to himself as a muscular Jew. So he's a Zionist, which, okay. Oh, so he, okay. Well. He, he's having a really rough go of it. He picked a bad candidate who's going to lose um, and, and potentially maybe even lose badly tomorrow in Iowa. And um, he's also, you know, having to sit there and deal with all of these, these like, insane, <laughs> like, propaganda that's being thrust upon the American people by the state of Israel. For money. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah. I'm sure he's just upset because he's had to take a break from his subterranean activities. (laughs) Well, let me let me do my analysis on Iowa now and then we can we can get into the 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 Brooklyn sewer Jews, Um, (laughs) the the Ninja Turtles of the Jewish community. Um, So. (laughs) Jesus. So, okay, real quick. So here's here's my rundown. So Iowa does have some pretty big weather coming in. Weather always affects uh, voting and things like this. Caucuses are in-person situations, by the way. That's another of another big notable is that a caucus occurs in person. Um, there's no way to mail in a caucus vote, right? Um, so um, it could be anybody's game. It's entirely possible. Uh, opinion polling doesn't work well. Uh, when it comes to caucuses because of how they operate. But at the end of the day, uh, it would be incredible uh, for any candidate to win uh, against Donald Trump. And just to give you guys a, a, a background, uh, just so so everyone can kind of have a, a, an idea of what we're talking about, let's take a look uh, real quick at what the caucus looked like at this time, 24 hours prior to the event occurring, um, let's take a look of what it uh, of what it looked like in 2016. Right, it's 2020 was pretty, mm-hmm. pretty easy. So in um, I used real 
I use real clear politics. And the reason why is because real clear politics uh, gives me an aggregation of polls. It's not one poll. It is the aggregation of all polling. So currently in the Republican caucus for Iowa, as of today, Trump is polling at 52%. Now, some of this is added to the fact that uh, Donald Trump, the Des Moines Register, did uh, a poll. They do a final poll 24 hours out, and he got the highest polling numbers that had ever been witnessed in the Des Moines Register for any candidate. So wow. Donald Trump's at 52. Nikki Haley's at 18.2. Ron DeSantis at 15.6. Vivek Ramaswamy is at 6.8. Chris Christie, who has suspended his campaign, is at 3.5. And Asia Hutchinson, who I don't know if he dropped out, but if he didn't, he still, like, why does he exist anyway, is at 0.5. So those are the polling averages. Now, um, for a little bit of a look back, let me see. Oh, I can't remember how I did it before. Um, I usually do this on my phone, just so everyone understands. So I'll pull it up on there. Well, anyway. Any reaction to those numbers at all? Like Nikki Haley's at 18.2, Ron DeSantis at 15.6 in Iowa. What the hell's going yeah. on? How the hell are you how are you polling behind Nikki Haley? Yeah. Like what it's, happened? I I don't know. And I don't understand and the thing is it's this isn't new. None of this has changed. Mm-hmm. I mean, at least like the DeSantis stuff, it's like they've always been relatively close. Or have been relatively close for a while now, mm-hmm. but I'm a, kind of agree. It's like I look at the you look at the DeSantis campaign, and you can't, I can't help but things like it seems like you fumbled this for the amount of interest and support that I saw going towards DeSantis early on. Mm-hmm. It is very it is it is surprising that that support has sort of evaporated. Now, it seems like a lot of it must be going towards Nikki Haley, and potentially that's only because they look at DeSantis and think that he can no longer win, which is strange because it seemed like he had the best chance of any candidate previously. Mm-hmm. And But the still, I guess I'm just shocked that anybody is planning on voting for anybody that's not Donald Trump. It's not like this is a tight race between Trump and these other people. It's Trump is by polling miles ahead of them so it's i I guess i'm just i get men potentially that's it maybe the desantis candidacy and team maybe they saw trump blowing out all him and the other candidates and went wait let's just not try that hard we need we can stop spending money we can stop trying that hard i'll keep my hat in the ring and try and stay relevant because i'm gunning for a vp position Uh, i it's hard to I, I don't know. And then so, maybe a bunch of people saw DeSantis sort of withdraw because he read the writing on the wall. And then a bunch of them went, well, we have to throw our support by Nikki Haley because we're never Trump Republicans and have to beat Trump. So I guess that'd be the question for you. I think DeSantis became the vehicle for the never Trump movement to try and keep Trump out of office. Do you think that those people are now desperately trying to support Nikki Haley because their primary goal is to keep Trump from becoming president? Well, I'll handle that in just a second. Real quick, I'll I'll give the numbers. So Ted Cruz won in 2016. He won the Iowa caucus. Um, The last poll, the final polling for Iowa, 
Trump had 28.6 and Ted Cruz had 23.9. And that's what I mean. Polling doesn't equal win, right? Ted Cruz won with 23.9 against 28.6. But Nikki Haley and Ron DeSantis are polling closer to Marco Rubio, who got 16.9 in all the final polling. And well, nobody was worried about a president, Marco Rubio, after Iowa. To give everyone just an idea of how those numbers looked, right? So DeSantis is actually pulling below Marco Rubio in 2016 and Haley slightly above. Anyway, to your point. Yes. So I do think that a lot of, um, I I think it's twofold. There are a lot of good people who support Ron DeSantis for good reasons. There are absolutely great reasons to support a Ron DeSantis presidency. One is the fact that he can run for two terms. That's a, that is a good reason to support yeah, a president. For sure. For um, sure. I like the idea of having a Republican in the White House for three terms. Which we totally mm-hmm. could do if you have a one term of Donald Trump and a good vice president, which I think. Ron DeSantis would make a very good vice president. Uh, then we could have three terms. We could have a term of Donald Trump and then two terms of Ron DeSantis. That sounds pretty cool to me. Uh, personally, I think that that's an even better, longer form strategy. But hey, what the hell do I know? Um. So, the, but that anyway, that's a good thing. I think that Ron DeSantis has done a very good job in Florida, but I also understand Florida. Florida is a pretty red state. I know that everyone wants to act like it's not their legislature, like the entire legislature is Republican. It's a Republican Senate. It's a Republican House. In fact, this was known because during COVID, the person who was running, like who was trying to go after Ron DeSantis, I can't remember her name off the top of my head. Uh, Maybe we have a few listeners in Florida. Maybe y'all can remind me who she was. It was, I think it was Nikki something, um, she was like the only state level Democrat, the only state level Democrat. That's how red Florida is. So when everyone's like, he mm. beat all odds and just really killed it. Like, dude, Florida has no Democrats in state offices. So no, That's true. Like, are, come on, man. The guy before, uh, it was a Republican Governor before was, uh, it wasn't Rick Santorum. It was someone else. Rick Perry Mm -hmm. was the governor before Mm -hmm. Ron DeSantis, a Republican. (laughs) Anyway, Marco Rubio is the Senator. The Republican Marco Rubio is a Senator from Florida. So like, give me a break guys. And now Rick Perry is a Senator from Florida. He's the other Senator from Florida. It's a Republican state. It's not the same fucking thing. Like Ron DeSantis did really great in a Republican state. Wow. I'm not saying that that's bad, but it's a very different situation when you have a bunch of Democrats. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, uh, it's mm-hmm. just different. It's it's Ron DeSantis was effective as the governor of Florida, but the challenges of being the governor of Florida, where it is a predominantly red state with a friendly, with a at least potentially friendly uh, legislature and bureaucracy. Mm-hmm. That's a very different animal to wrangle than the federal government, which has to be viewed as almost entirely compromised by the left. Yeah. Yeah. And that, so mm-hmm. uh, the idea that because DeSantis was a great governor, 
that he will be an equally effective president, I think, requires a little bit of revision. It's like he is going to be up against what we saw them throw at Donald Trump. Right. And will he be good at navigating that? Maybe, maybe not. But it's a, but the fact that I see a lot of people that argue for DeSantis not addressing that claim or pretending mm-hmm. that it would be he'll be exactly the same as he was governor of Florida, I just get a little nervous that they're not living in the realm of reality. Well, and I think I think the big argument that appeals to a lot of regular people, not randos on Twitter and, you know, uh, consultants and everything is Ron DeSantis. And this is going to go across the board for all candidates because we did have an interesting question from one of our listeners calling that I do want to address. And this is a good point to do it. The big question is um, Ron DeSantis was supposed to be Donald Trump without the baggage. And that makes sense. That's a really good. I mean, that's that's a great campaign situation. The problem is Mm -hmm. that you have to inspect the baggage. Now, if you want to talk about personal baggage, okay, sure. Nobody gives a shit about that. Like, let's just like that's um, that that argument died in 2016 when Donald Trump became the president of the United States. Um, You know, even though he says gross things and like nobody cares. Like, let's just be honest. No one cares. And if you think people should care, fuck off, man. Like, I have bigger things to worry about. Than what somebody uh, yeah, says. It's, well, it has to be drawn back to, and how does that affect his ability to be president? Right. I think I feel like from what Donald Trump delivered as president, I never felt like the mean tweets were what was getting in his way. What was getting in his way was a essentially was the institutional capture of the left opposing the president at every turn. Yeah. That damage that kept him from doing things a lot more than any mean tweets did. I remember when the left collectively lost its mind. Like, oh, he tweeted something about Kim Jong Un of North Korea. Oh, this is going to be war. He'll drive us to the brinks of World War Three. And then he brokered a historic peace deal between North and South Korea. And so I kind of felt, well, your criticisms of the mean tweets and oh, he got divorced once and ooh, he's <laughs> like kind of unseemly as a personal in his personal life i never felt like that materialized into any sort of defeat the things that stopped him were people that would hate that the the thing that stopped donald trump were the people that were extremely dishonest and attacked him on the left just like i saw they did with george w bush right it's like think what you want about george w bush i'm kind of less of a fan now than i used to be certainly but when he was president i watched him getting as dishonestly and means in the mean-spirited and dishonest attacks against George W. Bush are one of those things that started to really turn me off of against the left because I went that's absolutely wrong I don't like the way they're characterizing this guy so unfairly and then they did the same thing to Trump and I was like well shoot if they're going to do the same thing to both t- people then clearly the whatever they did in their personal life and how they appear on camera and how seemly or unseemly that doesn't matter. It will be as it will be as vicious regardless of who it is because they don't want the right to get any victories. And the idea we can just put DeSantis in there who will smile awkwardly on camera and not have a Twitter account and that's going to save the country. Ah, that is absolutely naive. That's such a naive view on things. And it's a naive view by people, I think, that are inherently irresponsible or cowardly because they don't want to face the actual threats we face as a country and the insidious and subversive elements that have enshrined themselves in power 
inside our own country that are actively working against our interests. I need somebody in office. If voting is going to matter, it would only matter when voting in someone that is going to actively confront the malicious subversion that is going on from within the federal government. And I just don't think DeSantis is going to be able to take that head on when it marshals all its forces to destroy him, to keep him from doing making the changes that we want. Right. No. And and yeah. And and I agree. The <clears throat> the so the the other side of it is we have to ask ourselves a question. Well, and and I'll get to um, something is so you asked about like you know what people. Of course, there was a rush of people that were never Trump that wanted to go for DeSantis because they don't want Trump. And, and DeSantis seemed yeah. very viable for the voters. And I think that that's where a lot of the problems may have come from. Maybe not even necessarily directly from Ron DeSantis's campaign, um, but more directly coming from uh, the, the fact of like influencers and people on social media who are inherently never Trump, because that is the other part that really disgusted me was a lot of the people that backed Ron DeSantis um, on social media absolutely hate Trump supporters and they talk about excising MAGA from the Republican from the Republican Party. They call them a, yeah. a, a cult. Now, let me remind you that in the election, you know, Donald Trump is pulling massively. You You are literally hearing people nationally right now. Donald Trump has 60% and it's like, we're not even really in the primary yet. You know, mm -hmm. like the, the voting hasn't even started, but he already has, he has 60.9% overall. Eight. And Nikki Haley and Ron DeSantis are basically tied at 11%. Now Haley has 11.9. DeSantis has 11.0. Like guys, <laughs> like, that those that's who you want to get rid of 60% of voters you want to get rid of 60% of voters by polling because they're gross they're they're called we need to get rid of maga why why like even even from the and i've seen that like mm -hmm. direct quote we need to excise maga from the gop maga well, means make america these, great again why would anyone yeah, want shows, to get rid of that sorry exactly it shows that these people are fundamentally unserious about their future of their, about their politics. If you were serious about politics, if you took a good hard look and you said, well, okay, well, what do we face as a country? Well, we face all of these problems and threats and issues, which anyone with a brain, anyone that holds America, actually holds American values, can't help but look at the left and the Democrat Party and go, these people are an absolute threat to that. Mm -hmm. Now, if mm -hmm. what? Well, and, and now it, it asks another question. And this is the question that every single candidate that every other candidate besides Trump has had to address, and none of them have necessarily done it well. Um, I mentioned that Colleen brought up a, a question, which was, why not vote for Ramaswamy? Okay. And it's a good question. He does say good things. Like, like there's a lot of times I've absolutely complimented Vivek Ramaswamy's messaging. Totally. What does, what, what do I get from Ramaswamy that I don't get from Trump? I think a lot. I think Ramaswamy reminds a lot of people of Obama, because he he's very good on camera. He's a very good speaker. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and those are all he, he, and those are all wonderful wonderful attributes. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's not even a negative. You're not saying that even as a negative. 
Not even a negative. Like yeah. uh, Obama won the presidency uh, absolutely on the merits of uh, his campaign. Yeah. At least as I'm, I haven't say dove into it exactly, but I I would imagine a lot of Americans look at looked at Obama and what this guy's well spoken. He's young. He's got vitality. This is great. And I think a lot of people, including myself, see that in Vex. Like this guy seems great. He says all the things I want to hear. Mm-hmm. I, my my worry, though, is it's is the if if the system finds Ramaswamy acceptable, then that is an, a damning indictment of Ramaswamy. Well, but well, hold on. Um, I, I I know where you're going, but but first, I I want to dive more into what does Ramaswamy have that Trump does not. Okay, that's a very good point. I would say. If I was to make the argument for Ramaswamy over Trump, it would be that he's younger. He seems more. He se- He seems more better. Better at public speaking potentially, but at least he's better at public speaking. I guess Ramaswamy's advantage over Trump is that he would play better on cable news. Okay, well, and that's that's he, fair. He reminds but- he reminds people left and right of Obama. And mm-hmm. think about the positives of Obama. Obama now, is that because was he's a very brown good, or because he's good at talking? It's both. <laughs> he's good at talking, but he's and he's also brown. <laughs> and I think people look at it and go, "What has what has cable TV shown me as like the, the ideal president?" Well, Ramaswamy is that. Oh shit! That's a really interesting point. That's nothing mm-hmm. against Ramaswamy, but looks, that is very funny. Yeah. Yeah, but think about. Think about it would be I, I see Ramaswamy and I feel the same thing is I look at him and go, wow, like liberals would liberals would really like that guy. Mm-hmm. And that is kind of what makes me worry is I look at it and that's my gut instinct is, wow, I bet liberals would have a really tough time criticizing this guy. I'm like, no, that maybe isn't a good may, that is an attractive thing, but that might not be a good thing mm-hmm. long term. Like that's that's not what I want to make my decisions based on. Right. He's someone that would, you know, like no one could criticize him. I feel proud. It's like the same reason why people voted for Obama, but mm-hmm. on the right. And I think that the people voted for Obama on a false pretense, not necessarily based on the merits of where he would deliver the country. And I would worry about the same about Ramaswamy. Does, again, it's the does Ramaswamy have the balls to actually make serious changes to the system that is going to resist change with a tooth and nail? Or will Ramaswamy, again, the fact that Trump is older actually is in his favor because he's got nothing to lose. Ramaswamy has so much more to lose than Trump that the temptation to compromise and not run the country as he needs to is going to be very, very high. So it's very this this sounds very much like the exact same argument we just made about Ron DeSantis. Mm -hmm. And it's like so the, the negatives for Ramaswamy is. I'm not seeing anything that makes him special compared to Trump that that is any different than what we would get out of, say, a Ron DeSantis. Now, they're they're different people. Don't misunderstand that. Sure. But like everything we do right now in this camp, in in this campaign and in these primaries has to be compared to who's running at the top. And that's that's Donald Trump. And, And the ultimate thing for all of these campaigns is you have to convince voters to vote against Trump. And everybody likes Trump. Everybody voted for Trump. Yeah. The most people in the history of any Republican candidate ever voted for Trump. 
He got the most I, votes of yeah. any candidate in history for the Republican Party. Now, it wasn't enough compared to all the, you know, hidden ballots and Zuckerbucks and everything else, but it was the most. Sure. So you have the most popular. I mean, this this isn't even crazy to say. He's the most popular candidate by the only metric you have for candidates, which is votes. He's the most popular mm-hmm. Republican candidate that has ever existed. True. Um, I, I, mm-hmm. I, if, if you, if, Ramaswamy got a place in administration. I think that would be great. I think he, if he, heck, even maybe as VP, I think it'd be great. But I think at the top, you need somebody that is going to marshal the strength of will necessary to face essentially the swamp, to face the mass bureaucratic state in, that which and which colludes with the media to bring incredible amounts of pre- pressure against an administration. My oh, the biggest hope I have with Trump, and not even that Trump has a great record of doing this either. No Republican president does. Trump kind of failed in his first presidency in certain ways. Yeah. The benefit I see with Trump is that Trump knows personally, is essentially that Trump would be angry. That yeah. Trump would be angry and pissed off and would be able to draw upon the experiences of his first presidency to maintain pressure and aggression against the left. Where someone like Vivek, if the going gets tough, would he go, it'd be so much easier to just compromise on the border or give amnesty or what the fuck ever or sign in this gun legislation if it gets them off my back. I have more hope Trump would approach that situation and go, no, no compromise with these people. No compromise at all. Any If we give them, if we give them an inch, they'll take it a mile. And I think I want someone like that leading the organization. I would like to have people like Vivek and DeSantis who are highly effective working in a, in a organization led by someone that is willing to have the drive and focus that I think Donald Trump would have more so than the other people. It's not even a guarantee that Trump's going to have the drive and focus and aggression needed, but it's more of a guarantee than anybody else. That's that's my case for Trump is – it's no guarantee that Trump's going to save the country, but if anyone is going to be able to face the harsh reality of doing so, of all the players in the field, Trump seems the most likely to be able to have the force of will necessary to make permanent changes against an enemy that will resist it at all costs. Now, what I will say in credit to Ramaswamy is uh first of all he pisses everybody off so he's been roundly far more attacked than any other candidate Mm -hmm. aside from trump so i I will give him credit on that the left hates him and people on the right hate him too and the people i don't like on the right hate ramaswamy in fact uh there's the whole conspiracy conspiracy theory that ramaswamy's really just there to help trump and it's all a big conspiracy um where he benefits well, number one, I'm I'm just gonna flat out say it. He doesn't have a chance in hell in this um, primary at all. Um, so yeah, he's just he's not gonna make it. It if Ramaswamy won Iowa, that would be awesome. That would honestly be. Actually, now that I think about it, I just kind of pulled this out of my ass. That would be the best result we could ever hope for. Because it would highlight yeah. something to the voters. It doesn't hurt Trump mm. any, so there's no reason for Trump people to be upset. Although they probably will be because everybody on social media is a psychopath. Um, but in reality, 
it would shake the GOP establishment so hard that it would be amazing. It would scare so many people because of how wrong they've gotten everything. Now, I don't see that happening, but holy shit, that would be the coolest thing that could ever happen because it would shake the establishment so hard they would lose their goddamn minds. That actually is a good, that would be pretty cool. Because I think that'd be pretty interesting. The, the appeal that Vivek Ramaswamy has is he is appealing to the next generation of Republican voters. This guy needs to stay around. If he's honest, if he actually believes the things he says, he needs to stay around in GOP politics because he is very much speaking to, you know, the, the generation of people. To be completely honest, the ones that support Donald Trump the most vociferously in a lot of ways, the ones that support Nikki Haley and the ones that support Ron DeSantis, mostly are going to die in the next 10 years. It's all old people. That's mm-hmm. really the powerhouse of GOP politics and has been for a while. We don't have any lifeblood or youthful movement because youthful movements are fucking scary to people like the GOP because they have crazy ideas and they're not going to be super conservative because we're going to ask number one, we're going to be like, Hey, could you stop with the evangelical Bible thumping nonsense? There's better arguments than that. And they go, no calendars are bad. No, no. Um, what it is, is it's safe. They want yes. to play it safe. They want to play and- it safe. To do so, you have to make a lot of compromises in effectiveness to play it safe. Right. Uh, Like you said, like the evangelical thing, I don't think it's because any of these people actually care that much. It's more, we don't want to alienate the people that write that. We don't want to alienate our older donors. Right. We don't want to alienate this group. We don't want to alienate that group. If we take too hard of a line on this, it might alienate this group. The Republican Party generally has lasted on what well, we don't want to alienate any of these people that are giving us money. We're a big and tent. So they, yeah, we're a big tent, but that means they also never actually del- they can't deliver any radical change. And I think the con- the country needs radicals right now. Yeah. We need radicals and essentially we need right-wing radicals and revolutionaries. Yeah. And that th- are climbing into power to twist this country away from the people that have taken it. We no longer control the country. We no longer essentially have sovereignty within its borders. The country is no longer ours. And we need to face up to that reality that we are essentially operating as a dissident movement within a country that has been captured by our enemies. We are living under occupation and we can't and we can no longer play it safe. Playing yeah. it safe will do nothing but potentially slow down the left from taking things over. The focus now should be a lot more on how do we enact radical change that grabs back sovereignty and political power into our control in whatever ways we can. So I think at the state level, there's a huge amount of things. Like it's like we will we'll talk about it later, but if there is enough political will to enact radical change, states can start opposing the federal government, which will protect us against their – it's only going to get worse. Yeah. But, but it is only going to get worse as liberals keep wielding political power and become desperate. And so we don't have time. We don't have time or there, there's no there's no benefit from playing it safe anymore. Yeah. 
other than, oh, well, the left won't be able to make fun of us on Saturday Night Live. Doesn't matter. No, None of your people watch Saturday Night Live. Nobody watches it anymore. The GOP is so focused on playing it safe, they've done nothing but essentially have a, they haven't conserved anything. That's the big complaint about the GOP is they're conservatives, but they don't conserve anything. What's being conserved? Look, if you look back to the twenty to the country forty years ago, and go, what's been conser- conserved from them? It's like, well, maybe the GOP's kind of slowed down the transformation into a country they no longer recognize, but the country is still headed to become something they no longer recognize. Yeah, the, if they were a conservative movement, looking at the direction the country's come, all they've been able to do is potentially slow down the radical transform transformation of their country, but they can't stop it. They're unable to stop it currently, which means they need a change of tactics and leadership or whatever in order to actually become a real conservative or reactionary movement. I guess, And maybe that's my point. The time to try and conserve what we had is gone because what we had is basically gone. The time is now to become a reactionary movement and react to these changes in order to walk them back. So... I guess I guess then with that and and we'll wrap up our Iowa caucus stuff and get on to the other stories. I guess with that being said, if you are a person who doesn't uh, I mean if you're a person who listens to this show because you know there's a certain type of person that listens to this show. But if you're a person that listens to this show, if you're a person that considers themselves right-wing and actually America first and things like that, but you don't want to vote for Trump. And maybe there's reasons why people don't want to, COVID policy being one of them. And just maybe you're exhausted by it. Maybe he's a little too old. Then I think that the only logical vote would be for Vivek Ramaswamy. Because he's probably not going to win. I mean, it's almost certainly. There's there's nothing that suggests he's going to win. But you would send a message. And sending a message is important. Um, I would love if I saw Ramaswamy near that 20%. Because it sends a very strong message, like what happened in 2016. Remember, Ted Cruz was not an establishment candidate either. That's actually what actually shook the GOP so hard in 2016 wasn't just Donald Trump. It was the fact that none of their establishment candidates were near the top. They wanted Jeb Bush. They wanted Marco Rubio. They got neither of them. Mm-hmm. that's actually what fucked up the GOP so bad was that the people that they thought were going to be their top dogs were not what the voters wanted at all. And they had no idea what to do with their hands. It's just that. That's, what, mm-hmm. that's where you saw the whole never Trump movement come from. Yeah. It was all AstroTurf from the GOP establishment going, but, but you should vote for our guy, not this other guy. Yeah. So, yeah, I strongly encourage you. If you don't like Trump, then your vote should be for Vivek Ramaswamy. So the GOP understands what it is voters want to hear and what it is voters want you to focus on. Regardless of how people, I don't want to have the debate on, is Ramaswamy really a plant? Is he actually some Soros guy? Is he Brahma? Look, I get exhausted by the conspiracy theories. Um, and also, you know, the same people who tell me that Donald Trump's evil tell me that Ramaswamy's evil. So I, I'm going to have trouble believing it. Now, that doesn't mean yeah. that doesn't mean that he's, you know, perfect. Neither's neither's Trump, neither's DeSantis. But at the same time, it's the messaging that does matter. 
And right now, Ramaswamy is the only other guy in this entire race that has messaging that I find compelling. In fact, I find a lot of Ramaswamy's messaging more compelling than Trump's because he's taking the risk. He needs to, and that makes him smart. And I like that his campaign is being smart. I want him to have something to do with the GOP moving forward, if for nothing else than the fact that he is very smart about the things he's talking about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He is identifying problems in this country that no one else is comfortable talking about. And that is a good thing. And so I'm not going to shit on Ramaswamy. I'm not going to share a bunch of conspiracy theories about him. Cause even if he, it is some big conspiratorial crazy thing, he's still talking about shit that I think needs to be talked about. And maybe his handlers in the great Soros star chamber are miscalculating it and thinking like, well, get him to start talking about these conspiracies about uh, what is it, demographic replacement. That'll turn off voters. Yeah, but it's actually really happening. And so it should be talked about. Yeah. it's one. That <laughs> I, yeah. So that, that, yeah, I like Ramaswamy because he talks about issues that I think are, are, that need to be in the public consciousness, like demographic replacement. That's a real issue that is absolutely transforming the country. Mm-hmm. And is taboo to talk about by the left for and because they're embarrassed by it. They don't want to have to admit that that's a tactic they use because it is going to be unpopular with voters. They're voters. Yeah. And if anybody's paid attention to um, our account on X, you would 100% have seen me multiple times say, if Ron DeSantis talked like Vivek Ramaswamy, Iowa would be I would stay up all night on uh, during the Iowa caucus. I would stay up yeah, all night paying attention scenario. to the caucus mm-hmm. because holy shit, the landscape would be crazy. So hopefully that right. answered at least some of Colleen's question. I highly encourage people. Yeah. If you don't want to vote for Trump, do Ramaswamy. It makes sense. It a hundred percent makes sense. I think he's great. I think he says a lot of good things. We'll see. I think the greatest test mm-hmm. of somebody is going to be what happens um, when he pulls his campaign out. Now, Obviously, yeah. if he nominates Ramaswamy as his VP, I don't see that as a bad thing. If he nominates DeSantis as his VP, I don't see it as a bad thing. Right. If he nominates Nikki Haley, I'm going to have to very seriously mm. consider whether or not I want to vote for that. I understand I yeah. don't want I don't want to I don't want Joe Biden to win, but I don't want that kind of republicanism either. Anyway, true. Aside from that, there's something in the sewers of New York City. Oh no! Oh no! I'm not allowed to say other things that exist in the sewers of New York City because uh, then I would be listed as an as Ew. an anti semite. Um, I'm not talking about poo. I was talking about rats. Oh no! No! Now I've gone and oh. said it. Now someone's going to say that I've compared them. Uh, so everybody has seen this. This is not news. Uh, but there were tunnels discovered underneath the synagogue in New York. Oh, and and what were these tunnels filled with? Um, mattresses. Mm. There were ma- uh, there were at least I don't know they weren't filled with them, but there were some. Uh yeah, true. So it was there. There was a um synagogue <laughs> in New York City, and a you know, so a whole series a whole series of events that happened, and it was found that well under this synagogue there were tunnels that had been dug that branched out underneath and um 
what was happening in these tunnels is actually still up for conjecture. No one really knows why this synagogue was building these ridiculous tunnel net was hand digging a tunnel network that connected to various points around the synagogue. Uh, and so there were some really hilarious videos of just some guy and it's like, Oh, and there's a rabbi crawling out of this sewer grate. Like what is going on here? Um, <laughs> and of course there's a lot of conjecture about what could this possibly be, but it's the, this, it quickly became anyone that mentions the Jew tunnels of New York is anti-Semitic. Right. We're like, yeah, but like there were tunnels, <laughs> and that is pretty weird. Yeah, and if I, a mosque was if a mosque was building tunnels, oh someone would go, well, that's probably for something terror related. Or if a yeah. Christian church was building tunnels, someone would go, I don't know, is that where they molest the kids? Yeah, yeah, but yeah. The Jew tunnels, it's. Nothing to see here, folks. Let's fill them all with cement and then go about our business. Yeah. So, yeah, if if it was a mosque, um, there would be heightened alerts. People would start talking about terrorism. There there would be, I mean, it would be wall-to-wall coverage. Everybody would bring up the Palestinian uh, protests that are happening. It would almost, it, 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 there would be like imams and, and people having to, Probably sitting in Guantanamo Bay trying to explain that they're not terrorists mm. and that they were just yeah. trying to expand their mosque illegally, which is the excuse that's being used for this um, for this synagogue. If it was a Catholic church that had tunnels underneath it with uh, with um, uh, uh, mattresses, everybody it would be on the Catholic church to try to explain uh, that they weren't diddling kids. Right. A hundred percent. One hundred percent. Now, just so everyone's aware. This Shabbat synagogue, um, which is a very uh, interesting sect of um, um, what's the word I'm looking for, Alan? Orthodox Judaism. Hasidic, yeah, Orthodox uh, Judaism. Yeah, so it's it's an interesting sect of Orthodox Judaism. Has had a sex scandal in the past. The reason why you're seeing Uh-oh. a lot of people on social media bring up how weird the mattresses are is because this. This community in New York has had a sex scandal in the past where seven people went to jail because a very powerful person in the synagogue molested a 12-year-old girl and seven other and, and several other powerful people in the synagogue uh basically tried to shut the family up, offered them five hundred thousand dollars to stop talking about it, ostracized them from the community. Uh, the entire community called the girl a liar and treated her like absolute garbage. This is a 12-year-old girl, by the way, and they claim that she made it all up. Well, it turns out the guy ended up going to jail for molesting her. And so did all of the people that were trying to silence the family for talking about it. So it isn't um, it isn't just random conspiracy theories. This, this place did have a history of trying to cover up sexual assaults of children. And to be honest, the Orthodox... Judea, uh, Orthodox Judaism, because it's so insular, there have been people that were in these sects of Judaism that talk about how common uh, child molestation can be, as as it can be in a lot of other uh, groups like this, uh, because mm-hmm. basically nobody will say anything and the powers that be won't punish it. It's, it's the accusations that as a Catholic, uh, I have to deal with constantly against the Catholic church, even though the molestation that occurred in the Catholic church was by far lower than a lot of other religious communities and far lower than public schools themselves. But somehow it's the, the worst worst. 
But that's oh, sure. because that's because everybody wants to attack Christian Christianity. But to your point, anybody else but 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 Judaism would have been roundly attacked and a lot of questions yeah. would absolutely have to be answered. People would be doing deep dives on this and not being called uh it wouldn't be accused of hate speech and wouldn't be accused of anti-Semitism for bringing it up because it's freaking weird. Now, could it possibly all be innocent? Sure. Nobody knows what the hell these tunnels are for. The claim is, is that oh, they were yeah. trying to expand their synagogue, which makes zero sense because the way that the tunnels were being dug. Yeah. Like you, you probably have the money. You could have just you, made it yeah. bigger. Expanding your synagogue. It's like, no, you don't just start hand. Okay. Hey, it's Jews doing manual labor, which hey, already now. Didn't they build the pyramids, though? <laughs> well, there is a debate about that. <laughs> There's not necessarily any records that show that Jews were ever slaves in Egypt. Okay, so other than the Old Testament, yeah, I was going to say that even then, the the thing the thing that uh, the thing that Alan's highlighting here before anybody makes any wild accusations is the one time, the one time that religious text is allowed to be used. In 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 uh, academia, especially in archaeology, the one time religious text mm-hmm. is allowed to be used in archaeology is the foundational claim that the uh, Jewish people were slaves in Egypt. Yeah, the Egyptians. There's no Egyptian source that right. describes Hebrew slaves. Right. And that, so you no, know, it could be a lot of reasons for that. It's just something I've always found rather interesting. Yeah, when you stumbled upon it, it was. It was interesting. Alan and I talk about a lot of stuff, and some of it goes down yeah. some very fun rabbit holes like ancient alien stuff. Um, sure. But anyway, so, yeah, h- hilarious, though, the manual well, labor but, of it. Okay, but mostly, like, if any, you're telling me a group of Hasidic Jews decided to just get together a bunch of pickaxes and shovels and dig a secret tunnel? Because they wanted to expand their synagogue, that was totally un- and the reason this is, became an issue is it was a totally unlicensed tunnel, an unlicensed construction project. When the city of New York found out about it, they went, "Well, you can't do that, so we are going to basically fill this thing up with concrete because you can't just dig." They basically said, "This is an illegal construction project, and we're going to shut it down." And then a bunch of the Jews in the community rushed into the tunnels to squat in them so that they couldn't fill them with cement, much like how, uh, say, climate activists will chain themselves to a bulldozer so you can't cut, you know, tear down a tree. They did the same thing. They were basically like, we're essentially like human shields of our tunnel system, <coughs> which, again, if it's just an expansion of your synagogue, that's a really weird amount of energy to throw at it. You would just go through the normal permitting process. Like, you can't tell me they couldn't have found at least one lawyer to figure out the permitting process to get an expansion built. Well, it's hard to find a Jewish lawyer in New York, uh, to be fair. I know. It's 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 almost impossible. <laughs> so that's real. It, the whole thing is really strange. It's like, you wait, you were digging tunnels underneath. And then the videos where it's like, it wasn't just tunnels. It wasn't like a single tunnel it was they had dug enough that the entire basement floor was basically like a foot raised off the ground of dirt that had been excavated out and then these tunnels were small too it's like you had to crawl through them it was all really weird and it demanded some bigger explanation or at least it was just so made me so (coughs) curious like what could this possibly be for and there's the official explanations bizarre the only two explanations well sorry real quick that i think 
Sorry, yes. real quick. I, I do want to cover the official explanation because it is bullshit. So the official explanation is this is a group of just random youths who were yeah, illegally said, oh, trying to expand teens. it. Oh, and, these just random Jewish teens decided they were going to dig a tunnel today. I'm like, that doesn't make any sense. Well, and I Come want on. everyone to understand no that the leadership of this synagogue is claiming to have had zero idea that people were digging and con- like conducting a major um, construction project yeah. underneath the ground of one of their buildings and filling a basement of a building with the dirt removed. And they're like, we had no idea. These crazy youths. And that is literally yeah. what everyone's going with. You were called an anti-Semite. You don't buy that the leadership of a synagogue had no fucking idea. People were digging a bunch of tunnels underneath the building and yeah. filling a basement with dirt. No one had any idea. Oh, well, we had no idea. These crazy kids and their pranks. You've yes. got to be kidding. So, By the way, Bob of Atlantis weird. says we can't say rabbit holes. We have to say rabbi holes. <laughs> so. We're going to go down the rabbi hole. In this <laughs> anyway, go on. Yeah, go no, on with the others. that's good. Uh, so mostly the only two things that make sense is one is that there is a within this. Apparently at there is a a guy, a, a rabbi in like the 1910s that basically claimed he was that some people started claiming was the Jewish Messiah. Okay. Like at least, bunch of weird at least they acknowledge that there's a Messiah. Yeah. So they're waiting for the, the Messiah. They say G- Jesus wasn't it. They, this one guy in the 1910s where they said, oh, this guy is the Messiah. And, and again, I'm not a Hasidic Jew. So uh, this might not be 100% correct. But according to their faith, the Messiah is going to come back wherever his church, at least the sect, his followers believed that wherever he was, that was essentially the third or fourth temple. Like the, they're going to rebuild the temple where this Messiah is, and then they will be able to restart sacrifices to the Lord. Because if you, know, if you read the Old Testament, it's all about sacrificing goats and sheep. There's always sacrifices to the Lord that are spelled out. But because they don't have the temple, they can't make sacrifices like that. They need like the official temple to be rebuilt to restart the ability to make sacrifices. So the theory goes that because this rabbi in the 1910s, there's a this contingent of followers he had that believed he was the Messiah, and he was in New York City, and a large con- contingent of his loyalists go to this synagogue, this synagogue. The theory is that he that basically there's this sect within this synagogue that basically said that guy was the Messiah. We need to essentially rebuild. This synagogue is the temple, and we're going to, like, behind the backs of everyone else, build our special little chamber where we could maybe, like, conduct sacrifices and rites that are reserved for that to take place after the Jewish Messiah has come. Right. And so that's what was going on down here is that, well, they say this group of views is like, well, this sect within the church in potentially secret or at least maybe not well known amongst the rest of the these churchgoers kind of dug and built this area out in the like through the basement that was their special like spot to do their special rites that the other people in the synagogue might not necessarily have agreed with that's backed up by the way this came about the way the cops were called the city was notified seems to indicate that it was an inter-church power struggle 
that drew the eyes of the cops in the city to these tunnels rather than a, an outside source. And so maybe someone within the church said, listen, there's this crazy sect. They believe the Messiah. They're digging these tunnels. I don't think they're right. I think they're basically a bunch of heretics. And so, or, you know, apostates maybe, I'm going to get the cops involved to shut down their dumb, their, their nonsense little tunnely business. And basically we can use that to cleanse our church of this sect I don't agree with. That's probably, in my mind, the most likely option. Mm-hmm. The other option is, if I was the Israeli Mossad, and I was sending agents to operate inside the United States, I would absolutely use the global outreach of, the, of the networks of synagogues to implant agents around the world. And if you were, say, operating a bunch of intelligence assets out of a synagogue in secret, Having a way they could enter and exit the building and facilitate enter and exit the building in the area in secret, say through a tunnel network, would absolutely be valuable. And the leadership of the synagogue, probably being relatively pro-Israel, would I would imagine not have necessarily a problem with that. It's it would be the same as essentially the um, you know using the American embassies to run CIA operations out of using American businesses overseas as fronts for CIA activities. It it wouldn't be shocking because you have these groups that are, because Judaism is essentially a transnational group, you know, there's a bunch in Israel, there's a bunch here. And if you were the Israeli Mossad and you want to do intelligence activities inside America, well, you have a ready supply of safe houses and and people are good. It's the same thing as like the Chinese government utilizing Chinese Americans in order to move intelligence gathering assets into America like that that's at least possible so I'm not really sure but those are the only two best the best theories I have is crazy religious sect or Mossad safe house <laughs> I mean and you know <clears throat> that that sounds like a bad movie um, with the Mossad safe house thing and I mean, it sounds like kind of a cool movie I, well, it sounds yeah. like a movie I be at least interested in watching the um funny part about it though is one of the things that i've referenced when you and i talk but i don't talk about it a lot on the show is that there's a book series um that's very popular by an author named daniel Steele, um uh, that follows an israeli Mossad agent named gabriel alon who poses mm-hmm. as an art restorer um and he happens to be a Mossad agent he happens to be an assassin in fact cool. um for the Mossad. and there's like seven books or something now um it got lame and i never finished it because the latest book was all about covid and so i'm supposed to believe that all of these like assassins that work for the israeli government are like afraid of covid and i was like well this is gay not buying it point is though is uh he's very well respected his wife is like an international correspondent for cnn there's a lot of um people that are kind of movers and shakers within politics that really like this guy really like his writing. And this is exactly the kind of thing that he would say the Mossad does Mm. because he talks about intelligence operations with a matter of knowledge similar to like Tom Clancy. So kind of like how Tom Clancy had a lot of contacts within like the CIA and within, you know, intelligentsia to be able to write, accurate and good books this guy he is a jewish guy and he does seem to mm-hmm. have a pretty decent knowledge of intelligence operations which is fine um Eat. but one of the things that he regularly talks about is this network of people that either through compromise 
by the way. So either through compromise or through allegiance, support Israeli Mossad internationally through shops and synagogues and media empires and things like that. It's, it's an, for all of the accusations that people make about anti-Semitism because of conspiracy theories, it is fascinating to see that one of the most um, popular and acclaimed books about the Israeli Mossad, even though it's fiction, is never accused of those things, even though they, even though this book outwardly says things that I've seen. The reason why I've ever brought it up to Alan was I was like, dude, this is the kind of stuff that people accuse other people of anti-Semitism for, but instead this guy's a New York Times bestselling author, but he's Jewish because one of the things is they compromised a media mogul and the hundred percent, the Mossad's like, Hey, you're going to go and start putting these stories out. You're going to put out this fake narrative because we need you to convince uh, this target to think that he's safe. And the guy's like, ah, fine, I'll do it. Uh, And they're just like, yeah, this is just how, how we do things. Like, this is how we operate. We're a small country that a lot of people hate. So we have to operate this way. And people clapped. And I was like, yeah, if I said that, I'd be called an anti-Semite. But this author says it and everyone goes, oh, my God, he's so great. Just found it weird. That's all. No, it's, it's, it is very interesting. You know, and honey pots and all of this other stuff. You know, like Jeffrey Epstein, um, <clears throat> who was probably mm-hmm. working for the Mossad. But uh, actually, he was working for the Mossad. That's basically been proven. Oh, okay. He at least had a lot of contacts with the Mossad. I think his one of his business partners was a Mossad agent. Yeah, and the he, idea that you would use a billionaire with a sex island to get compromising blackmail on a whole bunch of powerful people. Yeah. And while at the same time managing their finances in like a trillion, like a couple billion, hundred billion dollar portfolio, uh, that's not shocking. Yeah. And anybody that is shocked by that is an idiot. That's a good intelligence operation. Yeah. That like it's, if someone (laughs) described that, I go, well, yeah, that's definitely something an intelligence agency would do. That'd be so effective. Yeah. They'd almost be stupid not to. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Anyway, um, so that's the uh, that that's the best that we can come up with when we talk about the uh, the Brooklyn sewer Jews, um, Jew the the teenage mutant ninja rabbis. Uh, so I don't know. It's weird. Uh, it's definitely even more. It's even it's made even more strange that you're called an anti semite unless you want, unless you absolutely believe that everybody in this synagogue had no idea that people were doing Minecraft. Underneath the yeah. building. And there were, by mm-hmm. the way, complaints where people are like, dude, I'm hearing Yiddish through my floors. Um, <laughs> uh, my favorite. So, yeah, what, what's what's more notable throughout this entire thing is how much uh, the mm-hmm. on the right and the left, how many accounts on social media uh, ran to the immediate uh, explanation, the official explanation of the synagogue, and then ferociously attacked anybody who said anything otherwise. Yeah. But, That's you know, pretty weird. Well, I can't fault them. You know, I, I think nope. I, I think that this community of people is the perfect outline for exactly how nationalist and um, supportive I would like to see the American community. For sure. Yeah, I just, I just, I would love to see the same level of commitment amongst Americans as there seem to be of um, Israelis in the United States. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, you know, that's all. Ah, <laughs> see what I yep. did. Yep. All right. So, mm-hmm. what else was there? There was something else. Oh my gosh. Oh, 
Texas. Uh, well, there's the crisis. Yeah, there's the crisis that it, at the border that is apparently just continuing to mount. Uh, you actually had, uh, and so all these people are flooding into the United States in their tens, if not hundreds of thousands. I believe it was a couple hundred thousand over just the month of December alone. Um, and so these people are flooding into the United States in huge quantities. You have a bunch of cities now, of course, are getting totally overwhelmed by the numbers because when they get to the border, they're like, well, we got to send them somewhere. So they send them to a bunch of cities uh, in the United States. I believe it was, oh, let me pull up the exact cities for you here. One of which uh, is you had, Eagle Pass. Oh, no, that yeah, they're being Eagle sent Pass is, Yeah, Eagle Pass is the city that are they're coming in through. Um, but you had all of these uh, folks out there basically saying like, well, we need to, I believe it was Philadelphia, I want to say, was essentially saying like, um, all of your work, we're closing school for the next two days. All the schools, like the schools in the city are closing for the next two days so that we can use the buses to uh, move all of these migrants around and the migrants are going to be housed in the gyms of various schools. So your kids can't go to school for the next couple of days um, because your schools are going to be, are filled with illegal immigrants. And I was like, that's at least interesting. And then in uh, Governor Healy of, of, pardon me, uh, got cut off there. E-N-R-H-E-A-L-Y. Governor Healy of Massachusetts announced that we might have to actually start asking civilians and if they can uh, house migrants in their own homes. It's like, well, we need to put them in schools. Uh, we actually might even need to put them in people's homes because there's a shelter crisis for these hundreds of thousands of people that are flooding across the border. Uh, we talked about last week how the city of Denver has huge number of, of these illegal aliens coming in and says we have to spend 10% of the city discretionary funds, not on anything that voters you know, asked for or would benefit our citizens, but on simply housing these thousands of people that just showed up on our doorstep in the middle of winter. Gross. And so it is It is a crisis in places that are overwhelming cities in, in America. It's like New York. We heard the mayor of New York. They're like, well, this is a crisis. They're taking up every space. We're putting them in fire stations and anywhere we can put these people because they're showing them here in such huge numbers. But isn't that and the responsibility of, of, a, of a sanctuary city? It is the responsibility of a sanctuary city, and they're doing a great job being a sanctuary. <laughs> but it is funny to me how when these things become problems, the last issue anyone brings up is, well, can't we just send them back across the border? Like, why do we have to spend money and house them when we could just put them on a bus back to Mexico? Um, but I think the, that that uh, this is all coming to a head, which is good to see. Recently, the state of Texas, the uh, governor announced that the Texas National Guard is going to be taking over. Oh, you uh, sorry, you're breaking up a little bit there. Oh, man. The federal of federal. Alan's like doing this weird choppy thing. We flooding in through what? You Sorry, you were breaking up a lot, so you're going to have to say everything you just said again. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. So one of the things we recently found or recently heard about was the governor of Texas announced that he is sending the 
the Texas National Guard to take over a strip of land that that migrants were flooding in from through and taking it over from the federal government. And now this is after, just so everyone's aware, this is Mm -hmm. after the federal government um, went after the state of Texas for putting buoys in the Rio Grande River to stop crossings and Mm -hmm. also cut a bunch of concertina wire that the state of Texas put out to stop people flowing through and and, uh, went along with NGO groups that were claiming uh, making videos that made no sense where it's like, these are what the people have to crawl through to get to get to the other side because Texas is evil, even though zero people actually crawl through concertina wire. It was all fake. Right. But right. anyway, sorry, go on. I wanted to lay that out. No, it's essentially, and it's the Texas actually had some pretty uh, strong words. essentially saying, no, the federal government is not doing its job. They are not protecting us. And we're, taking it over from them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, of course, the federal government immediately mobilized and said, well, you can't do that. Like, we're going to stop you in the courts. Uh, so the area is called Eagle Pass. It's Shelby Park in Eagle Pass, Texas. Uh, the, the Texas government, their official uh, wording was, the federal government is perpetuating illegal border crossings, <coughs> and we're going to put a stop to it. So they basically, and they essentially deployed the National Guard. They put a bunch of concertina wire. They have a bunch of troops there, uh, and they basically told the federal government that uh, your people are no longer allowed here. We don't. Your people can no longer be in this p- place because you're actively facilitating an illegal invasion. Okay. The te- okay. Here's the mm-hmm. Texas. The Texas government's official statement is. And the wording here, I think, is actually very important to listen to, is, quote, the Texas National Guard has maintained a presence with security points and temporary barrier in Shelby Park since 2021. The current posture is to prepare for future illegal immigrant surges and to restrict access to organizations that perpetuate illegal immigrant crossings in the park in the greater Eagle Pass area. The... (laughs) That's the quote, and essentially the Texas National... The Texas... The... uh, their actions are to classify the U.S. the federal government as an organization that perpetuates illegal immigrant crossings. <laughs> That's so awesome. So, <clears throat> so everyone understands um, kind of the paperwork behind a lot of this. So. Um, because of everything that's been going on, Texas has been trying to request that, uh, you know, immigrate, uh, well, Customs and Border Protection, Department of Homeland Security, basically everything that falls under Mayorkas, who, for some reason, House Republicans can't seem to get together and impeach the motherfucker for not doing his job. Uh, but that's a completely different story. Um, they, uh, Governor Abbott has decided that he needs to take matters into his old uh, own hands. And on the 3rd of January, he passed a law that authorized police and uh, other law enforcement uh, organizations, as well as I believe the National Guard. It authorized them to stop illegal immigration at the border, which is normally a federal government function. But because the federal government mm-hmm. is failing, he passed an executive order or a law Um saying that uh, basically making it possible uh, to authorize use of these resources to stem the flow of illegal immigration into the state of Texas. 
and it might not have been on the 3rd, but on the 3rd of January, <clears throat> the Department of Justice officially sued the state mm-hmm. of Texas, um, saying that their SB4, so Senate Bill Number 4, immigration law, w- was illegal. They said it was unconstitutional. That's- so it says SB4 mm-hmm. is clearly unconstitutional, said uh, Associate Attorney General uh, Vanita Gupta. Under the supremacy clause of the Constitution and long-withstanding Supreme Court precedent, states cannot adopt immigration laws that interfere with the framework enacted by Congress. The Justice Department will continue to fulfill its responsibility to uphold the Constitution and enforce federal law. Texas cannot disregard the United States Constitution and settled Supreme Court precedent, uh, said, uh, said Principal Deputy Assistant Attorney General Brian M. Boynton, Boynton. Head of Justice of uh, the Justice Department's Civil Division. We have brought this action to ensure Texas adheres to the framework adopted by Congress and the Constitution for regulation of immigration. As outlined hmm. in the complaint, Texas's law would create two new state crimes that attempt to regulate immigration, with the charges ranging from a misdemeanor to a felony. Additionally, SB4 would give state judges the ability to order the removal from the United uh, to order removal from the United States. The Supreme Court in Arizona v. United States has previously confirmed that decisions relating to the removal of non-citizens from the United States uh, United States touch on foreign relations and must be made with uh, must be made with one voice. SB4 impedes the federal government's ability to enforce entry and removal provisions of federal law and interferes with its conduct of foreign relations. So this is a far larger battle than people realize. This is the state of Texas is about to go to the mat with the federal government and challenge the supremacy clause, not because they want to challenge the supremacy clause. I, I, I think that Governor Abbott and Republicans in Texas believe that there are separations of power. And I do believe that they support federalism. But mm-hmm. the United States government has failed so abjectly at enforcing basic immigration law that, yeah, get fucking game on, man. No, this is a fight we absolutely need to have. I want to see a fight between the federal government and the states over illegal immigration because the federal government is absolutely in the wrong and because they are intent on aiding and abetting an invasion of the United States of America. And this is a great fight to have. I want to see it happen. And I I want the federal government to have to justify how it is allowing a massive surge of non-citizens to flood into our country, which is only going to create massive chaos. There's no way that you can have this level of population transfer from one place to another without causing a huge amount of chaos and carnage. Like well, it, yeah, it, it inevitably, like it, it's stressing all these places. It's like It's just, it's insane that we have to suffer through this. The federal government is not doing its job. And it's a great fight we have to have. Yeah, it's because what happens when what happens when, it, regardless of how this turns out, the state of Texas is going to go. Well, I guess we just don't do what you say, and yeah. then the federal government's going to go. Well, you have to, and they'll go. Uh, yeah, but we're not. Like, <laughs> even if a court, even if the Supreme Court finds in the federal government's favor, does Texas just go? Well, guess we just roll over and die. okay well i guess we um can't achieve i I guess we can't be protected through legal means so 
screw it, but come and take it. Well, that's and- what I mean. And I don't think the the Biden administration is smart enough to resist sending a bunch of armed federal agents to go force compliance. I think that's absolutely within their the realm of possibility for this administration and what they've demonstrated. And it is going to be very, a very interesting day if a bunch of armed federal agents show up and have a standoff with the Texas National Guard over opening the border back up to illegal immigration. Yeah. So you, you think that the uh, Biden administration is going to like turn Texas into like the Bundy Ranch? I think they would absolutely try. Oh my gosh! I, I it's the I don't have the confidence in the Biden administration that they will be able to do anything other than the worst possible thing they could do in this situation. <laughs> well, and and you know I I I love it because well first of all good for Texas like yeah somebody's yeah, got to do good. it because the federal government sure as hell isn't. Um, but you know at the uh, on the on the other side of that coin it's just it's bananas because like. We're heading into an election year, so that's hilarious. This is very well-timed, I have to admit. Mm-hmm. Um, and Greg Abbott is basically just sitting here like, yeah, I'm going to I'm going to make Joe Biden um, fight harder for illegal immigrants than he ever did for American citizens. And that's exactly what's yeah. happening. And it's exactly what Republicans have been saying um, is the priority of the Democrat Party. And honestly, like, what's the takeaway from it? Even Democrats are getting exhausted over illegal immigration now that it's actually affecting them. It was easy for them to go post things that say, like, hate has no home when it wasn't happening to them. When there weren't, yeah. uh, you know, when there weren't 300 brand new students at a school that didn't even speak English, that then required a bunch of educational resources to be taken away from your children so because those people now suddenly magically have a right to an education because they wandered into this country and because the definitions get changed. And, you know, I, it, I, I would be remiss if I didn't note how the Department of Justice is once again saying, well, it's unconstitutional. So this is the part of the Constitution that they give a damn about. This is the part of yeah. the Constitution, yeah. not not the one that says that it's the job of the United States government to protect the borders. That mm-hmm. it's the job of the president of the United States to handle immigration properly. Oh, not that part, but they're going to use the other parts of the Constitution. And this goes back to my the, the statement that I made a, a couple weeks ago on the program where, um, I, you know, I have to say again, I, the Constitution is only ever used to tell me why I can't do something now. It's never used as a thank God for the Constitution because this great thing happened and America was saved. It's always, oh, well, now the Constitution is going to be weaponized to make it so a bunch of people can just flood in here illegally. The Constitution, understand the Department of Justice is literally saying that the Constitution is allowing this illegal activity. It's illegal. They're saying it's unconstitutional for Texas to stop illegal activity. Yeah, that's the that is the stance. And and one of the things that's always bothered me when it when we talk about immigration and the way that uh, Republicans handle it, especially because we're in a primary, right? The constant refrain is, I'm not against immigration. I just want legal immigration. That is the most cowardly position that any politician can take, because guess how I beat that? Guess how I beat that argument? I just make it legal. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I just I just make it legal. Simple as that. Oh, okay. Um, now I'm going to grant amnesty to millions of uh, illegal immigrants who are in this country, and now it's legal, and so you can't be mad about it. Yeah, 
Like, okay, we'll just change the laws and make it legal. Yeah, done. Oh, crap. If only I had just said, I oppose all immigration, then we could have just gotten somewhere. But instead, people have to try and seem nice. You can go, well, it's only the illegal ones that I'm I, I'm going to maintain the moral high ground and only oppose the illegal ones. Like, no, the problem is any immigration at all. Yeah. The, like, well, the problem is, is just you just have to ask the question, why? Like, I don't expect people to go to the mat against immigration because it can. I mean, there, there are a lot of people that either come from immigrant families or, you know, they have to ask the question of like, what's really wrong with people immigrating here? In a sense, nothing except for you have to ask the question of why? Why do we need people to immigrate here? Or and, uh, another well, way to ask it is why? It, mm -hmm. And why do we need it to happen in such massive numbers? Well, that's exactly it. Was it. Like, why can't it was it like it be 100 difficult? people a year. If it was like 1,000 people a year, maybe even. That, that'd be a different thing. But we're or talking, it, it was 200, 230,000 people flooded across the border in the month of December alone. Yeah. And, and like, these aren't doctors and lawyers my and vote. engineers. Yeah, my they're vote not even, counts less. Yeah, they're because, not. Because like, all these people are going to come. Every single one that has kids, they're now a U.S. citizen. I, it's, it's like it's perfectly natural. It's perfectly understandable. And it is, in fact, the most reasonable thing in the world to oppose more immigration. Yeah, at least. At, I mean, it's it's very simple. Like if you instead of the dumb shit like i support legal immigration it's just you can support immigration all you want and join the Koch brothers and their ability of creating a slave class in the united states as soon as we have zero problem at our border because then the only way for people to come in is through some sort of legal process and i think it should be difficult i don't think you should just be let to walk into the united states of america and be granted all of the rights of a citizen yes you are right. I was born with them and thank God for my family in whatever for, you know, establishing roots in this country. I, I get it. But at the same time, you know, it's a, it's a different world out there. And the thing is, is with the, the argument of everyone saying, I just want legal. These people are legal by technicality because yeah. the left defines them all as refugees and that makes them right. legal. It's legal. Right. So just stop being stupid. Understand yeah, that silly. they're flooding all of these people in here. And ultimately, they're going to make it impossible to know whether or not they actually have a right to vote. Or they might just give them the right to vote. Understand that in a lot of municipal elections, like New York City, they're allowed to vote. You don't have to show citizenship to vote. In fact, it's not wrong for you to vote in a municipal election. Even if you're an illegal immigrant, you just have to be a resident. Yeah. And they want that for the rest of the country. They want that for the United States. They are trying to bring in new voters who will be dependent on the United States or dependent on the United yeah. States government and dependent on anybody who promises to grant them amnesty at some point, maybe in the future. Right. That's all well, this and, is. And it also just creates a bunch of chaos. It, like I think, one of the whole things is it makes it impossible to have any sort of shared national identity because half of your people are from somewhere else. Well, yeah. Well, they, that, don't, they don't share the same history as me. They don't share the same values. They don't share the same culture. They don't share the same beliefs. Like they don't celebrate the same holidays. They don't use the same language. It's like 
there is no benefit to being surrounded by a bunch of foreigners other than the fact that you get a bunch of chaos and social dysfunction. Yeah, and, uh, Colleen's bringing up that, uh, like, you know, residents here in the United States can't even name the three branches of government. Yeah, neither can all the illegal immigrants. Yeah. They I, wouldn't I, even know the question you're asking. Me. Yeah, we, we have enough problems that we don't need to add a whole new set of issues. Like you go, hey, can you name the three branches branches of government? Okay. Yeah, that's that's yeah. The, that's like, the answer you're going to get there. To, yeah, exactly. It's hard <laughs> enough to teach all this stuff to people when we all speak the same language and share the same, essentially, history. But, I mean, this is why all the statues are getting torn down. Because the vast, like, a large proportion of Americans no longer identify with that history. It's like, not my history. Let's put up a statue of Pizarro or some other Mexican hero, Santa Ana. Yeah. Because defenders of the Alamo, they're no longer the majority of Texas. The army of Santa Ana, their descendants are now the majority of people in Texas. Right. Yeah. People that defended the Alamo, they're now a minority in Texas. So guess we kind of forgot the Alamo. Yeah. <laughs> Looks like we forgot. <laughs> yeah. Like we did. Like on the, on the long time scale, Santa Ana won. Yeah. Yeah. And, and the standard Republican slash conservative fearful, I don't want to be called, you know, a racist. Yeah. Sorry. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Colleen just said the three branches of government, uh, Google, Walmart, and CNN. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, that's it. Add Pfizer in there, maybe. Um, yeah. But it, Google, it, Pfizer, and BlackRock. Yeah, Google, Pfizer, and BlackRock. Those are the actual three branches of government. I mean, that's kind of true and very scary. Um, but no, good for Texas. Um, I wish them luck. I kind of, uh, I don't want to see anybody get hurt, especially National Guardsmen. If you if you recall, yeah. Alan, you and I served next to the Texas National Guard on combat operations. If you remember those. They were great. Kindly fellows that joined us for uh, that wonderful, what was it? Rem uh, what, what was the new year called? Oh. Uh, um, wasn't oh removed. Yeah, it was something like whatever the Afghan New Year was. Yeah, the Afghan and Persian New Year. We ended up having a celebration and a uh, ritual goat slaughter for the New Year. Mm -hmm. and we mm -hmm. got to sit and eat uh, goat and other Afghan food with some members of the Texas National Guard. Anyway, point is, I don't want to see any of them get hurt. But uh, Naruz, thank you. Naruz, yeah. Naruz, yeah. thank you. Yeah, so we named the goat Naruz. Um, uh, that's right. I had to chase it. Anyway, uh. I don't want to see anything bad happen, but I would love to see a good old Mexican standoff haha, at the border between federal uh, federal agents and uh, Texas law enforcement and National Guard. Um, at least someone is standing up for uh, the sovereignty of the United States of America. And apparently it looks like it's Governor Greg Abbott right now. And by the way, this is 100 percent because um, and I know we're going a little bit long in the program, but this this does bear pointing out this is happening because governor Abbott and other governors like Ron DeSantis were doing something that is no, that would normally be frowned upon would normally be, you know, poo pooed by the, by the party. And this was when they started sending buses and airplanes full of these immigrants to sanctuary cities. That is the kind of stuff that Republican voters like. It's the kind of thing that was brought with the whole America first movement. It was brought with the whole make America uh, great again movement that the 
the establishment GOP does not want a Republican Party that does things like this. That's considered activism. That's considered unsafe. That's not the safe option because it looks bad. It might alienate old. It might alienate a grandma who, from giving us a hundred bucks. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's yeah, it's going to alienate some grandma who who gave us a hundred. It's going to scare suburban white women, and the consultants say that those are the ones we have to impress uh, for this calendar year. Um, the thing but, is, none of that applies anymore because no, it's like you can look at Joe Biden and you can look at the Democrats and go, these people are such a threat that. We now have the ability to take a whole lot of actions before people get scared. It's like, yeah. what would it take to, like, uh, people on the left ask this all the time, rather dishonestly. It's like, what's it going to take for Donald Trump supporters to refute him and, and distance and, and let him go? And they go, honestly, because you people have made the country, are directing the country into being such a shithole that there's actually very little that Donald Trump can do that I would get, wouldn't. That I would trade that for more of Joe Biden. They, like that's really the question. It's like, well, what what would you trade? Would you like? How badly could Trump screw up before you were like, yeah, you know, it's better to have Biden in office because you know he might hate the country, but at least he doesn't have mean tweets. I want Donald Trump to win far less because I mean I like I like a lot of his policies. I like a lot of the performance I saw. I want him to win far less because of those things and far more because he scares the left so fucking bad and I want them mm -hmm. afraid. Yep. That's it. I mean, and, and, and unfortunately, you know, we had a lot of discussions about the other candidates. Those other candidates just don't do that. And so to the Republican party, and this will be kind of the final thought for the program, but to the Republican party, if you want to pull your head out of your ass and start listening to people who actually vote, people who actually pay attention, people who actually talk to voters, understand that the thing mm -hmm. that you need to embrace to have a future in the, uh, as a party that is going to be ascendant and that is going to actually be successful, if you want to catch that lightning in a bottle that was Donald Trump, it's exactly that. You need to be giving your voting base people who the voters believe are going to fight for them and really actually fight for them by striking fear into their enemies. The American voter believes that the left wants them destroyed. The American voter believes that the left wants to fundamentally change the United States of America. The American voter is afraid for the country that they are going to be giving to their children and their grandchildren. And you are not going to win that fight by whining about the, the economy. You're not going to win that fight by talking about unity. You're not going to win that fight by making people happy and comfortable and smiling and using talking points. You win that fight by showing that the enemies of the United States of America and its citizens are afraid of you. That is the lightning in a bottle that is Donald Trump. And I don't know why it's so hard for you all to figure it out. Because every candidate who has run against him that has not captured that has not done well with voters. It's as simple as that. That's not Nikki Haley. That's not Ron DeSantis. Vivek Ramaswamy captures it very well and does well on the communication front. He's just not doing so well on the polling front right now. But I mm -hmm. think he's got it. 
And so yeah. you're finding the solutions there. That is the new Republican Party. If you don't like it, you're going to have to become a Democrat. I'm so sorry. But if you want managed progressivism, you're just kind of a lame Democrat as opposed to a fierce Democrat. But the new Republican Party doesn't want any of it. And you're just going to have to get out. I'm so sorry. You lost. It's over. Go join the Never Trumpers. Maybe you can join this uh, No Labels movement that's going to suck. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you could go join them and vote for the shittiest candidates possible. Yeah, but see, I think after the election, none of these people that are anti-Trump, they're all just going to be silent because at the end of the day, they go, well, the country's getting saved and it's better. Yeah. The economy's well, better. Gas is better. Like It's yeah. all performative. It's They're just like liberals. It's all performative nonsense. And when you take away their ability to have a performance about it, I don't know. I It's... They're, they're utter at the end of the day they're basically harmless and pathetic yeah and it, it and it'll be great we'll probably see some campaigns close down i don't know i don't think desantis lasts beyond monday but we'll see i think it'd be a bad idea if he did but that's gonna have to be it for this week just as a program note for everybody we will not be here next sunday i have to be uh back at home in michigan uh faring the weather mm-hmm. there but i will do a recap this week on iowa because i want to and it's going to be awesome so we'll probably uh do that on tuesday uh just depending on schedules Definitely going to want to recap it. But, uh, of course, always go to subscribestar.com forward slash wrongthinkradio, $2.99 a month. You help support the program there, and you can join our Discord where you get your fill of us and our wonderful Discord community. I'm Aaron from the East Coast. I'm Alan from the West Coast. And this is Wrong Think Radio. See you all later.